Hey, good morning, playbookers and Wogumuna Fallen. It's Friday. Today's show, why the suburbs hold the key to upcoming elections. It's your Politico Playbook Daily Briefing. If you've followed Playbook for a bit, you might know the name Doug Sosnick. He was a senior advisor to then-President Bill Clinton, who now writes lengthy political memos. Sosnick's latest is a very thorough 14-page dissection of the new politics of America's suburbs that you can read in today's playbook. It's essential reading for anyone who wants to understand the midterms and presidential race. Race, income, and education have long been the three most important factors in figuring out the partisan leanings of a district or state, but increasingly, Population density is all you really need to know. The purest political backgrounds in America are found in areas with about 800 people per square mile. By the end of the Trump years, rural America was deep red and big cities were bright blue. Sosnick writes, quote, The suburbs are the last remaining competitive areas left in the country. Here's the thing. A lot of conventional wisdom about the politics of American suburbs is wrong. Here, he writes, is the reality. Suburbs, quote, are more economically and demographically diverse than inner cities. Suburbs have a more complicated mix of racial backgrounds, languages, and countries of origin than inner cities. Suburbs have not swung decisively toward the Democrats, despite their successes there in 2018 and 2020. Here's what suburban voters dislike about the Democrats, quote, the cultural wars and identity politics of the Democratic Party. During a time of rising crime, they do not support defunding the police and they aren't looking for an expansive or intrusive federal government. Here's what suburban voters dislike about the GOP. Trumpian conspiracy theories about 2020, defenses of the Jan 6 insurrection, and quote, the intolerance and out-of-the-mainstream views on social issues like abortion and guns promoted by today's Trump-dominated Republican Party. The stakes for understanding all of this are hugely consequential. Quote, the party that is able to win the hearts and minds of suburban voters will control political power in our country. Sosnick argues, at the moment, neither political party appears to even recognize this opportunity, let alone have the willingness to seize it. Over in the House, Sosnick notes that the big redistricting story is that the GOP used to grab suburban voters to beef up incumbent districts, while they now steal from patches of reliable rural areas instead, usually to fortify suburban districts. The end result of redistricting this year will be that the next decade of control for the House will be fought in a historically low number of competitive districts that'll be based in the suburbs. Here's a question. How hard should the GOP fight Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson's Supreme Court nomination? That question is roiling Senate Republicans now that the confirmation hearings are over. But because Burgess Everett and Marianne Levine have the readout, here's what they're not going to do. Quote, GOP leaders say they will not support a boycott of Jackson's committee vote a strategy that helped scuttle the nomination of Biden's Federal Reserve nominee Sarah Bloom Raskin. Because the Senate is tied and the standing rules of the Senate require a majority of committee members to attend a panel vote, a boycott would effectively stifle Jackson's nomination for moving forward. Here's what might happen instead. Quote, As an April 4th committee vote looms, it's entirely possible that the evenly split panel deadlocks on her nomination, forcing Democrats to hold extra votes on the Senate floor. Democratic leadership will need to file a discharge petition, which only delays the process by four hours. If the committee deadlocks, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer could then take procedural steps on April 5th that would set Jackson for a final confirmation vote by the end of that week. Here's what's up in Washington today, starting with the White House. Earlier today, President Joe Biden held a bilateral meeting with European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen. At 6.55 a.m. Eastern, Biden will depart Brussels to head to Poland, 
where he's scheduled to arrive at 9.15 and will be greeted by Polish President Andrzej Duda. At 9.55, Biden will receive a briefing on the humanitarian response in Ukraine. At 10.50, Biden will meet with service members from the 82nd Airborne Division. Principal Deputy Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre and National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan will gaggle aboard Air Force One on the way to Poland. Vice President Kamala Harris will meet with the National Hispanic Caucus of State Legislators at 3 p.m. The Senate and the House are out today. One last thing before we get out of here, on this week's Playbook Deep Dive podcast, Playbook's Ryan Lizza visits the seventh floor of the State Department and sits down with Counselor of the U.S. Department of State, Derek Cholet. In this crisis, now everyone has said this is truly the end of the post-Cold War era, but we're going to have to kind of find that same creativity, resilience, moxie that helped us wage the Cold War uh and successfully over several decades to what we're facing right now in the future. To hear more about the strategy for defusing the war in Ukraine, subscribe to Playbook Deep Dive wherever you get your podcasts. All right, that's all I've got for you today. For more news on what's breaking in DC right now, subscribe to the Playbook newsletter, politico.com slash playbook. Our music is composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Playbook's editor is Mike Zappler. Playbook's deputy editor is Zach Stanton. The executive producer and head of audio here at Politico is Jenny Ahmet. I'm Raghu Have a good weekend. We'll see you first thing Monday morning.